promise of freedom for every single one of us. Lord, I thank You that You have freedom for us in the places that we let other people see and in the places that we don't. God, I thank You that there is freedom for us in the places we knew and know we need freedom and there, are freedom, there is freedom in the places we didn't even know we needed to be set free. God, I thank You that tonight, Lord, You have set a platform for us and created an environment for us, oh God, to hear from You. And Jesus, I pray that You would open our eyes and reveal to us like a light Lord, some of the stuff inside us that maybe we need to deal with that we didn't know was there simply because You have got more for us than we could ever imagine, that Your purpose for us is so much greater than we thought it was. Father, that the call that You've got in every single one of our lives is so significant. God, I thank You, Lord Jesus, that Your presence is here and that it brings freedom. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You can take a seat. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. We love you, team, all our, all our dream teamers. How about our dream teamers? Can we give a hand for everybody who serves on our dream team because we love you. We think you're absolutely incredible. Hey, I get to preach one of my favourite messages tonight and talk about one of my favourite kind of groups of people. I'm gonna speak to you from the life of Saul, Old Testament Saul. Is that okay? All right, I'm gonna do it anyway, whether it's okay with you or not, it's happening. See, Saul was anointed king over Israel. In fact, he was Israel's very first king. See, prior to this, when Saul became king, prior to that, Israel had leaders who were like judges or priests who would hear a message from God and then the judge or the priest would deliver it to the people. Effectively, God was their king. But true to Israelite way, they complained and wanted a earthly king, like a king they could touch. So they complained to God and he gave in and he chose Saul, and Saul was anointed as Israel's first king. I feel like that's a pretty cool thing to be famous for. Like, what a cool call. What a cool purpose. He was the first king. That's awesome. And you know what? By all appearances, he was the best man for the job. Come with me. It's in your notes in 1 Samuel chapter 9. We're first introduced to Saul. It says there was a prominent man named by the uh, man of Benjamin named Kish. We read on, it says he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. When I read that verse to Steve, he was like, oh, sounds just like me. <laughs> but I reckon it sounds like a pretty perfect choice for a king, right? The pretty perfect choice for a king. See, Saul's legacy could have been that of a great king. I feel like he was set up to be the man. But you know what? What we remember of him and the legacy he left was not that. He, was not, he is not remembered today as a great king. He is not remembered today for the victories that he fought. He is not remembered today for the, for the incredible leader that he was. No, Saul is instead remembered for his jealousy, his paranoia, 
his irrational thinking, his overreaction, his anger. See, after Saul became king, he won battles. Like, he led armies, he fought, and he won victories. I mean, this guy was good at what he did. Then in walks David. In walks David, a young man who, unbeknownst to Saul, had been anointed as the next king of Israel. Now, Saul liked David. He was like, I like this young man. And he invites him to become part of his household. And the Bible says that David begins to succeed in everything he puts his hand to. Let's read in 1 Samuel chapter 18, where it says, David marched out with the army and was successful in everything Saul sent him to do. Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people and Saul's servants as well. As the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistines, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy and with three-stringed instruments. As they, I like it how specific they are. Uh, as they danced, the woman sang, Saul killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul was furious and he resented the song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained but only credited me with thousands? What more can he have but the kingdom? So dramatic. So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. And this moment begins Saul's downward spiral into jealousy and anger and paranoia, which leads him on a chase for, for David's blood. And they play this game of cat and mouse all throughout First and Second Samuel, Saul attempts to take David's life numerous times. Saul is consumed by it, and in the end, it becomes his undoing. See, I do not believe that Saul achieved all he could have achieved. I do not believe that Saul accomplished and lived up to everything that God had actually called him to. I believe that Saul stopped short of the potential that lay inside of him. But he stopped short not because he didn't have it in him. Listen to this. He stopped short because he didn't have wholeness. He didn't have wholeness. See, Saul looked all together on the outside. On the outside, he was the right man for the job. On the outside, he looked like he would be the perfect choice for king. He had it all together on the outside. But when we read through his story, we can learn that there was a brokenness inside of Saul that came out when placed under pressure, began to show itself in the anger, in the jealousy, in the paranoia, in the control. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what is Saul's brokenness? What can we learn from the brokenness of Saul that would help us in our own journey? So let's go back to when we first meet him in 1 Samuel chapter nine, where Saul's father's donkeys have wandered off. I hate that when that happens. So Saul's father sends a servant and Saul out to look for the donkeys. Three days they search for these donkeys and they don't find anyone. So they come up with this idea. Let's go find a prophet or a seer. He might be able to, 
look and see where the donkeys are, right? He might be able to point us in the right direction, tell us where we should look. So they're like, great idea, let's go. Little did they know that God was actually setting Saul up to meet a prophet named Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter nine, we're starting at verse 14 where it says, so they went up toward the city. Saul and his servant were entering the city when they saw Samuel coming toward them on his way to the high place. Now the day before Saul's arrival, the Lord had informed Samuel, at this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will save them from the Philistines because I have seen the affliction of my people for their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man I told you about, he will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel at the city gate and asked, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel answered. Go up ahead of me to the high place and eat with me today. When I send you off in the morning, I'll tell you everything that's in your heart. For, and as for, by the way, as for the donkeys that wandered away from you three days ago, don't worry about them because they've been found just in case you were still worried. And who does all Israel desire but you and all your father's family? See, Saul knew that in these words, in this moment, Samuel was telling him that he would be Israel's next leader. And right here in verse 21 is where we see it. Listen to Saul's response. He says, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest of Israel's tribes? And isn't my clan the least important of all the clans in the Benjamite tribe. So why have you said something like this to me? The next day, Samuel anoints him as king. See, in, in verse 21, we actually see the root of all the jealousy. We see the root of all the anger. We see a glimpse into this brokenness that causes him to respond with control and with paranoia. We see in verse 21 that Saul is riddled with insecurity. He's riddled with insecurity. Am I not? But I'm only the smallest, the least important. Why would you say something like that to me? See, God saw something in Saul that Saul didn't see in himself. And so Saul answered the call of God with inadequacy. He didn't believe that he was capable of doing what God was asking him to do. And see, what I've learned is that some of the stuff and the issues and the things and the brokenness that we haven't dealt with kind of lay dormant in our lives. They kind of just sit there in our life and if we haven't dealt with it, we haven't uh, gone and, and, and sorted it out, these issues, this brokenness, these things, they just lay dormant there. And then all of a sudden, uh, something happens. Like maybe we get asked to, to step into some leadership. Or maybe, uh, and maybe it's even leadership at work. We, we begin to step into a new role or maybe a bit of pressure comes on in an area of our life. And you see, what I've learned is what happens is that things will lay dormant until the pressure comes on. And then all of a sudden, these things that we never dealt with begin to show up in our lives. And that's what happened with Saul. This insecurity lay dormant in him. And then all of a sudden, the pressure came on and it began to show. See, I spent some time getting lost in a rabbit hole in uh, YouTube. And I started, my husband sent me there. 
I started to watch clips of things being squashed by a hydraulic press. I'll never get those hours back. Gone forever. But it's this big metal hydraulic press thingy, cylinder thingy, that would come down and slowly squash items, just regular items. They would squash Vaseline jars and fruit and toys and perfume bottles and just regular Coke bottles. That one was exciting. Just regular everyday stuff. But you know what I learned after watching item after item after item after item? Why, why? But what I learned was, it didn't matter what it was that was being, having the pressure put on, when the pressure came on, what was inside came out. And I can tell you the truth, that's the same truth for you and I. What, when, when the pressure comes on, when we are placed under pressure, what is inside us will come out. And when placed under pressure, insecurity and inadequacy showed up in Saul's life. You know, I've got to tell you tonight that just like Saul, you have a purpose for your life. God has called you to something great. He has placed a gifting in your life. He's put something in you that the world around you needs. He's got a great plan and a purpose for your life. That's why we encourage you to get into growth track because we believe that God has put something inside you, some kind of gifting on your life. And our heart is that you would discover what it is because we believe that and you will not know the fullness and you will not feel content and purposeful until you know why you were put here, until you discover what's inside of you and you learn how to play it out in your life. God has got a future for you, but we need to understand one truth, is that your ability to achieve all that God has called you to achieve and you, your, you being able to reach your full potential is not based on your gifting or your talent. And it's not dependent on your ability. It's dependent on your wholeness. It's dependent on your wholeness. We have to understand that the enemy will do everything he can to keep your brokenness lying dormant in you so that you are not delivered from it. Because he knows that if you could get delivered from the stuff that's holding you back, there will be nothing stopping you from reaching, every, reaching the full potential of everything that God has got for your life. Saul was riddled with insecurity and it caused him to stop short. So what does insecurity look like? Well, let's take a look. Number one, insecurity, and you can write this down in your notes, insecurity is threatened by, the, by other, another's success. Insecurity is threatened by the success of others. Saul was not able to celebrate in David's success because he was not secure in his own call. Saul was not secure in his own call. I can remember when I uh, was training as a teacher. I was a teacher before I was a pastor. And so I'd finished my university de degree and it was time to, you know, send out the CVs and get a job. Well, I sent like, I don't know, it was like 15 CVs out. They looked pretty awesome too. And I sent them all out to a whole bunch of different schools. And what came back was silence. 
Like literally, I either heard absolutely nothing or I just got a decline. Decline after decline after decline. Some of them didn't even get back to me. How rude. And just as I was beginning to lose all hope that I would ever get a job, my friend rings me. My friend who went to uni with me, studied with me, we carpooled together, we did practicums together, we did all our group assignments together. She rings me just as I was beginning to lose all hope. She rings me with the good news that she got a job offer. Oh, you can imagine my response. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you. Well, you guys know what it's like, right? You've got a prayer need. You've got something you're believing for. You need some healing or you need you know, an answer, and here you are waiting. Meanwhile, everyone around you seems to be getting their miracle. You know what it's like. You're like, oh, so cool, yay, praise God. (laughs) Woohoo! beyond excited. Whatever, man. I know what it's like, but you know what? Insecurity will always try and tell you that someone else's promotion equals a subtraction from yours. Because insecurity is threatened by the success of others. Number two, insecurity struggles to trust. Insecurity struggles to trust. See, there's this cool moment in 1 Samuel 24 where David and his men are on the run from Saul. And they're on the run and he's got a whole bunch of men with him and they sneak into a cave to hide. And so David and his men are right in the back of the cave, like hiding in the dark. Meanwhile, Saul is chasing him down, doesn't realize he's gone into the cave and Saul needs to go to the bathroom. Like people need to go to the bathroom on the battlefield too, right? So Saul needs to go to the bathroom and he just happens to be going along the same cave that David and his men have hidden. So he steps into the cave to relieve himself. And listen to this, while he's going to the bathroom, David's men are like in the background, like back in the cave going, you could get him now, David. Like he's right there, he wouldn't even know it. You could kill him, this could all be over. Meanwhile, Saul's tinkering away. And do you know what happened? David, while Saul is going to the bathroom, sneaks up. You know what he does? He cuts off a piece of his clothing. (laughs) Steve, that was your fault. He cuts off the edge of his clothing. But Saul doesn't even know, he doesn't kill him, he spares his life, he takes a piece of his clothing. Saul had absolutely no idea he was there. Then he later comes to Saul and he says, look, look what I've got, a piece of your clothing. I was close enough that I could have killed you and you didn't even know I was there, but I spared your life because I'm loyal to you. I'm loyal to you. But you know what insecurity will tell you? Because even after that act, Saul still couldn't trust David. 
and he still pursued him for his life. Because even when loyalty is proven, insecurity tells you don't trust. Don't trust other people. Because insecurity is all about looking out for number one. Insecurity is, sees everyone else as rivals and adversaries, not friends. Insecurity struggles to trust. Number three, insecurity fights for position. Insecurity will fight for position. Insecurity says, I have to fight to get my place and I have to fight to stay here. Insecurity says, I'm looking out for me because no one else is gonna do it. Insecurity says, it's me against the world. But the thing that insecurity does not know, the thing that insecurity does not know is that I am not in my place or my position because of anything I have done. I am here but by the grace of God. And if I am here by the grace of God, then nothing anyone else can do can take me out of that position because I didn't do anything to get me there in the first place. It is by the grace of God that we stand where we stand. It is by the grace of God that we are allowed to do what we do. It is by the grace of God that we get given the authority we get given. And so we don't have to fight for it. And we don't have to prove ourselves to anybody else for it. It is simply the grace that God places on our life. Insecurity fights for position. So how do we overcome it? How do we overcome insecurity in our lives? Well, number one, we overcome insecurity by celebrating others. We celebrate others. See, I love in this story, Jonathan. Jonathan sees things totally differently to his father and he responds in a completely different way to his dad. Jonathan loves David. He is a friend of David's and time and time again, we see Jonathan promote David above himself. The interesting thing here is that Jonathan is by birth the rightful heir to that throne. Like everybody around them would have known that Jonathan was the next in line that he was the one that Saul would crown king after him. And so everybody else would have thought, well, it's pretty reasonable, isn't it, for David, for, for Jonathan and David to be rivals? Like, I understand that. That makes sense to me, right? Because Jonathan really should be. His dad's the king. He really should be next in line. But the beauty of Jonathan is that he actually sees and recognizes the call that is on David's life. And he does something quite powerful, quite powerful that shows us that he sees something in David that he knows is not in himself, but he's totally okay with it. In verse three of 1 Samuel 18, we see the scene where Jonathan takes off his robe, his kingly robe, and he gives it to David. His, his authority, this is his, princely robe, this is his mantle. This is the thing that everyone sees him wearing and goes, there's the crown prince, that's him right there. But he takes it off and he gives it to David in an act that says, I recognize that there is a call on your life to be king and it's a different call that's on my life and I'm totally okay with it. He not only gives him his robe, but he also gives him his sword. And this is significant because in that time, under the Philistine rule, only the king and the crown prince were allowed to carry a sword. Only the king and the crown prince. So in, an, in this act, 
Jonathan takes his sword, his crown prince sword, and he says, I might be the earthly crown prince, but I recognize that you are God's crown prince for this throne. And I'm giving you the sword in, in a way, in a, in, a, in a symbolized action that acknowledges that there is kingship on your life. He promotes him above himself. He celebrates what is in David. He speaks to the call that is on David's life. And he doesn't let insecurity get in the way. See, we overcome insecurity by encouraging people. Speak positively to them. Speak positively about them. Champion them. Speak to the call that is on their life. We can overcome insecurity when we celebrate others. Number two, we overcome insecurity when we trust that you are called. Trust that you are called. Jonathan was able to celebrate David's call to kingship because he was secure in his own call to sonship and friendship. They were anointed for two different things. And neither was more important than the other, and both were completely necessary. David needed Jonathan, and Jonathan needed David. Jonathan knew that David's call to kingship didn't take away from what God was calling him to do. Just because you haven't seen it in yourself, it doesn't mean that it's not in you, and that God has not called you to it. Your confidence in what God's called you to should simply be in the fact that he called you, that God made the decision to call you. Like, that's pretty awesome. And he chose you. He picked you to do what you're doing, to play your part, to do your bit, to play your role, to carry your gift, to walk in your call. He chose you. He chose you. That is all the confidence we need to be able to step up and say, okay, I'm not sure I see it, but okay. I trust you. I trust that I'm called. See, the difference between David and Saul was that David trusted that God had called him. David trusted in the anointing that had gone on. See, he knew he was anointed king. Well, Yeah, I'm anointed king, so I know I'll walk in it. So he didn't have to fight for it. He wasn't trying to prove that he was worthy for it. He he wasn't trying to convince anybody else that it should be him that was next. He didn't have to compete with Saul for it because I'm anointed for it. I'm called to it. And so I'm gonna stand in it. I'm gonna trust in it. I'm gonna walk in that inheritance because it's mine. Saul, interestingly enough, was anointed just the same as David. He was even anointed by the same prophet, Samuel. He anointed both Saul and David. He was anointed by the same God for the same role. In fact, I don't know, maybe even used the same bottle of oil. The difference was that Saul's insecurity stopped him from trusting that God had called him. He thought he had to fight for his position. He thought he had to fight to hold on to it, that if he didn't, someone was gonna take it from him. 
He couldn't rest in his calling because there is no rest in insecurity, only striving. Insecurity says you've got to work for this. You've got to strive for it. But when we trust, we can rest because we know it's not about us. It's about grace. Amen? Come on, number three. Number three, we overcome insecurity when we seek to be transformed by God. When we seek to be transformed by God. See, this is really important for you to understand. Getting to your promise is not just about what you do. It's about who you become. God doesn't just want to get you to an end destination. He wants to get you there whole. In just a couple of weeks' time, Steve and actually some other crazy people in this room right now are gonna be doing an event called the Tough Mudder. You guys all heard of the Tough Mudder? A 21 kilometer, 20 kilometer. Oh, well, that just makes it easy then, doesn't it? <laughs> a 20 kilometer mud run, but not just through mud, through ice, electric shocks, like up things and down things, like swimming through swamp thing, like this is ridiculous, okay? And aside from the fact that I think you have to be absolutely out of your mind or just completely weird to even attempt it in the first place, I actually quite like the concept. Because the heart of it is that you can have a team made up of all kinds of people, some are like incredibly athletic and some are just in it for fun, but the cool part about it is that it's not actually about whether you can get there fast, and it's not about who can get there the fastest and be the best, it's about the team getting to the end whole. It's about everyone making it through. And you know, I really believe that this journey that God's called us to is not about getting there the fastest or the betterest. It's actually about getting there whole. It's about getting there whole. God chooses David over Saul, why? Surely David's sins were greater. Like he messed it up bad. So why did God choose him? It was an issue of the heart. It was about the wholeness of their hearts. David is described as a man after God's own heart. That tells me that he is a man willing to have his heart, willing to have his heart tested and his character challenged. In the Psalms, it says, test me, O God, and know my heart. See if, any, if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. David is a man who's willing to have all of his mistakes and all of his impurities laid out bare before the world and say, God, would you make me clean again? David is the kind of person who's willing for God to really get stuck into his life and even though it hurts and even though it's messy, I, need, I know I need to get my brokenness sorted. David is the kind of person that didn't just know God up here, but he knew God in here. Kind of feel like Saul knew God here, but he missed him here. It's about allowing God to transform our heart. I'm gonna get the band to come and join me now. You know, I 
have read and studied this journey of Saul and David and Jonathan, it intrigues me. I find it really fascinating, the whole thing. The different characters and what they're going through in their lives and how that carries out and plays out in the story and with each other. And I have often wondered how Saul's journey might have ended differently and how he might have been remembered as a great king. Like how much more good could he have done? How much of a greater leader could he have been? How much more authority could he have walked in? How much more of the blessing and inheritance of God could he have grabbed a hold of? If instead of allowing his insecurity to rule his responses, if he was willing to say, hey God, I've got some brokenness, would you transform me? If he was willing to champion those younger guys coming up around him and say, hey, can I teach you? Can I show you? Come run with me. Let's do this together. And I wonder how much more of a greater king could David have been? I wonder how much of David's rule could have carried even greater authority. Had he had a father figure who was willing to run alongside him and say, David, I've made some mistakes. David, I haven't got it right, but can I help you? Can I, help, can, I, can I teach you how to grow in this? Can I show you from the wisdom of my life? Can I walk beside you? Can I do this with you? Can I champion you on? Sometimes wonder how different their stories might have been had Saul determined to fix some of the brokenness in him. Come on, church, would you stand to your feet? Because I don't know if you're like me, but I don't want to be like Saul. I don't wanna stop short of what God has got for me. And I wonder how much greatness, how much kingship or queenship is standing in this room that is yet to be discovered, that is yet to be called out and that is still on its way to fullness. If we could just deal with some of the dormant brokenness and see God work in us and through us, that we might be able to reach everything He's got set out for us. I want us to do one thing. We're just gonna close off in just a moment and I'm gonna hand back to Steve, but there is one more thing we can do to overcome insecurity in our life. Do you know what it is? It's praise. It's praise. It's self-forgetting. Praise. Because when we praise, we take our eyes off ourselves and we say, God, can you overcome my smallness with your bigness? God, can you, can you, I wanna magnify who you are and, and not worry so much about who I am. Praise says, God, this is not about me. This is about your greatness. This is about your bigness. This is about your purpose over my life. Come on, let's lift our hands. We're gonna get into a song of praise just for a couple of moments. We're gonna sing some praise and I wanna encourage you right now, right where you are, Maybe you're walking through a place of insecurity. Maybe you just feel like you are 
approaching your calling out of inadequacy. I want you to take this moment right now to say, God, I don't want this to be about me anymore. I want you to be bigger. I want you to be greater. And I want you to begin a transformation in my heart that can work on some of this stuff because I don't wanna miss out on all that you've got for me. Come on, let's give him some praise tonight. Let's give him a shout of praise. Come on, we're gonna-